The point is that parents are to teach their children. Parents are their children's first teachers. And I believe the most important teachers that they have in life and the things of God. And if anything good has come out of the last two years, parents in our country have realized that they need to be involved in their children's life much more than they were. That's a good thing. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Welcome to the service tonight. What a blessing it is to have you with us as we're going to continue our journey through the book of Exodus tonight looking at Exodus chapters 13 and 14. They're to have a sign on Israel's hand and on their forehead in verses 8 through 10. Now you shall teach your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. And it shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord brought you up out of Egypt, and you shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. So the sign to recount the story to their children, to their grandchildren, year after year, to teach their children how God had redeemed them from the bondage of Egypt, brought them up to the promised land, and they were to do so annually, In Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, speaking about the sign, and they would actually, and we'll look at this again, because he's going to repeat the teaching points to the children in our next point. But one of those verses, the sign, the box that they would wear, the phylactery, the frontlets that they would wear on their forehead, the Orthodox Jews, some do to this day. One of the verses of scripture that's in that little, two little boxes actually that they keep written out on parchment, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today, they shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit In your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Actually, they put them on their 
forearm on your hand and on the frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In Israel, they actually have a small little uh, hand, often that they would touch when they walk in. They have little, I forgot the name of what they're called right now, but they carry the same scripture and something that as you walk in the house, you touch it to remember God. Their custom when we were in Israel, even their uh, public buses, they had on the doorway of the bus, you enter the bus, they have these traditions that come right from Deuteronomy chapter 6. But the point is that parents are to teach their children. Parents are their children's first teachers. And I believe the most important teachers that they have in life and the things of God. And today we live in a society that's pretty much letting parents know that they are not important as far as teaching their children. In fact, many in our government-run schools want to unteach our children that they can conform them into their image. And if anything good has come out of the last two years, parents in our country have realized that they need to be involved in their children's life much more than they were. That's a good thing. Christian parents more so than those who are not Christian. So we find the importance of teaching these things, remembering the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There would also be the Feast of First Fruits, but that's not talked about here, but all in that seven-day period. Now we go back to verses 1 and 2, and the consecration of the firstborn Verses 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. So the setting apart of all the firstborn in Israel to the Lord, it was a requirement of God. God said, they are mine. And the reason God did this is because he saved all their firstborn when the destroyer came into Egypt passed over the houses because of the blood that was on them from the Passover lamb. But because he struck the Egyptians, now God claimed the firstborn as his own. Exodus 12, verses 26 and 27 said, It shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. And so they were to teach these things. They were to set aside, the Lord said, consecrate unto me, set apart the firstborn unto me. We'll find out later on that God desired the firstborn to be the priest of their household, but they would fail when Moses would be on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord and the golden calf was being made at the foot of that mountain, God then would take the tribe of Levi and make that the priestly line, the descendants of Aaron. But initially, God had a different plan. Even so, they were still to set aside the firstborn. They were set aside because they had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The only ones that was threatened on that night of the Exodus 
when the destroyer came through, were the firstborn. Nobody else was going to be impacted by it. But realize it was up to the parents to make sure that the blood was painted and that their household was saved. So John 5.24, we talked about this last time, the Passover passage of the New Testament, where we too are, have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. For the Bible tells us, John 5.24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. By hearing and believing the testimony of Jesus Christ, we pass from judgment to life. The New Testament Passover verse, John 5.24. So of the firstborn, verses 11 and 12, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opened the womb. That is every firstborn that comes from an animal, which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. And so Moses looked forward to the time when the children of Israel would enter into the promised land. We know historically it would take them another 40 years to get there. God didn't plan it that way for them, but they were stubborn and they took a little longer. I know that you guys can never relate to anyone being stubborn about the things of God. And it's like, whenever God asks, I instantly do. Well, most of us instantly don't. And sometimes we take a little longer than the Lord intends for us. But thankfully, the Lord is able to get us where he desires to be for those who have a heart for God. But he was preparing them for this time. When you're in the land, you're to set apart all the males who open the womb. And we find Numbers 8, 17 through 18, this will be taught for them. For all the firstborn of the children of Israel are mine. God repeating this in Numbers 8, 17 and 18. All are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. And I have taken the Levites, as I had mentioned, I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. So God originally laid claim to the firstborn in each household. They were to be the priestly line, those who would serve Christ, and serve God at the temple, the tabernacle. But because of their sin, the Levites would take that role in their nation. But still, even though the Levites took that role, God still wanted the firstborn to be consecrated unto him. And so there was the temple tax of the firstborn. We just learned this a few weeks ago here on Sunday mornings, that in Luke 2, 22 and 23, when the days of Mary's purification were finished according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And so Jesus was presented there at the temple according to this law that is first introduced to us here in Exodus chapter 13. And we'll learn about in Leviticus and Numbers and probably Deuteronomy as well. 
but according to the law. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And even as a baby, though he had nothing to do with this, as a baby, the law was being fulfilled for him. So again, it shall be as a sign between your, on your hands and between your eyes, verses 14 through 16. It will be when your sons ask in time to come, saying, what is this that you shall say to him? By the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. It came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn man and the firstborn beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Okay, I was just for a moment thinking, you can't sacrifice your boy. They redeemed the boy back, five silver coins. We learned about that a few Sundays ago here. They redeemed five silver coins of the temple, how they redeemed their sons back. Verse 16, it shall be as a sign on your hand, as frontlets between your eyes, for the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So their traditions were opportunities for the parents to teach their children about God's deliverance. They had these prayer boxes, the phylacteries, the frontlets that they would wear, phylactery, two leather boxes that have long straps that they tied on their arms and inside the boxes are these passages of scripture exodus 13 1 through 10 what we're looking at tonight verses 11 through 16 deuteronomy 6 4 through 9 which i've already read to you and deuteronomy 11 verses 13 through 21 that's kind of a longer passage i'll give you the shorter version of that Deuteronomy 11, 19 through 21 says, You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. And so we are to once again teach. First of all, God's word needs to be in our heart. Before we can be a proper teacher of the word of God, we need the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We need the empowering, the filling of his spirit in our lives. But then we're to pass these things on to our children, to our grandchildren. That's the stage of life where I'm at where I still can be a teacher to my children, but my children are both in their 40s now. And so I can be that teacher to my grandchildren, which is very important to me. These life lessons are to come from every area of our life. We're to talk about Jesus, as I said, as Scripture says, when we rise up, when we sit down, when we walk on the road, and we're to make the children curious. The question is that as it came here, your son shall ask, what is this? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Make them curious about the word of God. I think sometimes we fail in that. Both these passages of teaching the children reminded them and the Lord brought us up out of Egypt by a strong hand. 
that they were the redeemed of the Lord. And we need to share with our children how the Lord saved us, how we have been redeemed by Jesus, what makes it unique in our lives. I mean, we're all saved in the same way by the blood of Jesus Christ, but we each come differently to Christ. We each have a story. We each have a testimony. And that's something we can share with our children. So the Lord took them by the way of the wilderness. He could have quickly took them to the promised land. But God did not do that in verses 17 through 22 as we finish out this chapter. And I'm going to read the rest of the chapter. The word of God tells us, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night by the pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So there in verses 21 and 22, we're introduced to the Shekinah glory that led the children of Israel the whole time that they were there in the wilderness. And again, that would be for 40 years. So God didn't take them directly to the promised land because he knew that if they immediately experienced war, they might turn around and head back to Egypt. When the going gets tough, some people just run. I know it's supposed to be the tough gets going, but that doesn't always work out. As we will see when the children of Israel have the opportunity to go into the promised land the first time, only Joshua and Caleb would be two that would stand up and say, let's go. But that's later. Right now, the Lord took them the long way, and it would become a much longer road for them. While the Egyptians were busy burying their dead, Israel went out in orderly ranks, taking with them the mummified bones of Joseph, who had placed Israel under this solemn oath, saying, when God visits our people, you shall surely take my bones from here. In Israel, they would actually take the bodies and mix it with lime that it would quickly eat away the flesh and then take the bones and bury the bones. We saw one of these burial caves there at the Garden of Gethsemane in Israel today where they had discovered these small burial boxes where there's bones, and the boxes we were seeing were children's bones that they had unearthed there at that site. But that's what Israel did at that time. But Egypt, they mummified bodies. Joseph's body was mummified, which is quite interesting to me. So God led them out, as I said, by the Shekinah glory as well. 
And we'll learn more about the Shekinah glory cloud, and it will be introduced to us again in chapter 14. So I titled it The Mummies of Israel because according to the Word of God, there are at least two mummified bodies, mummified in Egypt, but ultimately taken to the promised land, and that is of Jacob and his son Joseph. So Jacob had been buried when he first came to Egypt. He died 17 years later. And they mummified his body, and Joseph took him up into the promised land and buried them there with Abraham and Sarah and Leah and Rachel. I had that wrong. Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah. Jacob had four wives, so I'm sure he got confused sometimes too. Yeah, you, that one. They're making discoveries in Israel all the time. In 2009, on the day of Hanukkah, researchers discovered 264 golden coins that were from the 7th century. In Beth Shane, our tour guide when we were in Israel told us that somebody wanted to, it's kind of a running joke in Israel, but somebody was planning to build a pizza parlor. They started excavating for the pizza parlor. They undercovered some ruins, and they have, in the area of the the Decapolis that we read about in the New Testament, 10 Roman areas or Gentile areas in the land of Israel, they uncovered a Roman area, a Roman city. What they didn't even know was there, they have now since unearthed a 7,000-seat amphitheater, a Roman bathhouse, and many other the areas of their homes that they lived in. This is also the area where King Saul and his son's bodies were hung on the wall by the Philistines after their death. Remember, they beheaded King Saul and his sons and took their bodies in the area of Bethshane. But today it's just mind-blowing that this was there at the time of Christ, this full Roman city with a 7,000-seat amphitheater. And I've sat on those stone seats. They've unearthed so much of it, and they tilted back up the columns there and made the city that's divided into four squares. It was well planned, but it was destroyed suddenly by an earthquake and abandoned so quickly that it was over time buried until it was discovered. And now you can go and visit it today. In 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. It was uh, in the area of Qumran, and a young shepherd boy, not an Israeli shepherd boy, but a Bedouin out keeping his family's sheep, doing what boys do when they're out tending sheep. I just assume, you know, you got dirt, and there's a lot of dirt out there. You got rocks, and there's a lot of rocks out there. Boys love to throw rocks, and he was throwing rocks in a cave. He heard something break, and before you know it, they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, unearthed portions of every book of the Old Testament, except for the book of Esther. And one of the greatest discoveries so far, and I've seen the copy of this in the museum in Jerusalem, and I don't know if it's the actual piece, uh, they're trying to preserve it, but a complete copy of the book of Isaiah. It was nearly 1,000 years older than any other copy that they had, and it was almost word for word. 
from the copies that they did have. So an amazing discovery. So someday we may turn on the news one day and said, oddly enough, they just found a Egyptian mummy in Israel. And I would initially think, is it Jacob or is it Joseph? It's got to be one or two of them. But as the redeemed of the Lord, we are to teach our children. Father, we thank you for this word you've given us this evening. Help us, Lord, to be those who would share these truths with our children, that they too might come to know you in life-saving faith. And be with us now, Lord, as we leave this place. Bless us. Bless our family. Lord, be with this country. Father, it seems that things are changing so quickly that your son Jesus must be coming very soon. And Lord, we ask that you would come. But until you come, Lord, help us to do business until you come. Help us to serve you until we see you face to face. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today. Hey.